I don't know how many of you have ever seen big things and been kind of just overwhelmed by the bigness, by the largeness. Sometimes even, even man-made things. This is the U.S.-Alabama battleship that is, in, is located in Mobile, Alabama, on the, on the Gulf Coast. And um, I've had the opportunity to, to visit... Uh, I think the last time we were there, uh, Ethan and Scott were just little, little fellows, and um, we went to see the battleship and went on a tour and walked through it, and I don't know if any of you have ever seen something like that up close, but it is tremendous how just the vastness and to think that mankind has the, the ability to figure out how to design and construct something like that. And it just, it, it overwhelms me when I'm in the presence of something like that. But even more than things that are made by man is when we have the opportunity to see the creation of God and the vastness, the bigness of what God has done, what God has created, and how overwhelming it is. Having been privileged to travel quite a lot, I've been to the Niagara Falls four or five times maybe, I don't know, anytime we were close we would go, and uh, every single time. It's, it's one of those things that never loses its impressiveness. I've, I've been to Washington, D.C., and there's a lot of interesting things to see there, but once you've gone three or four times, you've pretty well seen what's there. And, you know, it's just there's really not that much appeal to go back, personally. Maybe you're, I don't know, maybe you'd feel differently, but... Um, but things like this, I've never gotten tired of seeing and just standing back. And, and if you've never been there, you have to just believe that pictures will not do it justice. It's one of those things that you just stand there in awe and in amazement. And, and when you listen to people talk about it and you go to the museums and they'll tell you how many, how many millions, perhaps billions of gallons are going over those falls every second. And it's just incredible. I remember as a, as a teenager going to see the Grand Canyon. How many of you have ever been to the Grand Canyon? A lot of you, yeah. Another one of those, another one of those places that it, you just stand back in awe and wonder of God's world and how big it is and how vast it is. I don't know if you caught the words to the song. That writer, Stuart Hamblin, had an interesting way of talking about the bigness of God's world. And he said, the open sky is just a portion of his yard. How many of you have a big lawn to mow? Brother James has a lot of yard to mow. But the open sky is just a little bit 
of God's yard. He is such a big God. And what I want to talk to you for a little bit this morning uh, about is revealing the mystery of God's big plan. Now, I, this, that title may sound a little bit presumptuous. I don't want to, by any means, try to give you the idea that I'm going to tell you something this morning, and by the time you finish hearing what I have to say, you're going to go, ah, now I get it, now I understand. Because you see, the bigness of God and the bigness of His plan for the world and for this universe is so vast that it's beyond comprehension. This passage of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 1 is certainly one of the pinnacles of Scripture. If you're not familiar with it, I would encourage you to read it. We'll read it here in just a moment, but I'd encourage you to go back to it and read it and reread it and familiarize yourself with it. If you are able to, maybe memorize it. This is, I, I intend in the coming weeks or so to memorize this passage so I can just kind of chew on it, meditate on it. In the English translation that we will read from it has several sentences. It's several sentences long. But in the original Greek, it's one long sentence. And the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate something to the Ephesian Christians that is so large and so vast and so, so difficult to comprehend. And he packs so much into this passage. In fact, that in, in the book of Ephesians, he prays two separate times that, that God will give them a spirit of wisdom and understanding. He prays in chapter 1, verse 17. Uh, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. God is so big and his plan is so big that without God's help, we won't be able to comprehend the smallest part, much less engage in it. We need His help to, to, to catch on. It's outside of us. It's beyond who we are and what we're able to understand. In chapter 3, in verse 14, he prays again uh, for the understanding of the people uh, as they try to grasp what he's communicating. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And, and he has several requests as part of this prayer, but one of the things that he prays for is in verse 18, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now that may sound like a contradiction. How can you know what is unknowable? Well, that's specifically why Paul is praying for their understanding. And it is it, the truth is for us still today, without the help of God's Spirit, we will not be able to grasp, we will not be able to hold on to what He's trying to do, what God is, is uh, wanting to work out. So let's read this passage together, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. If I were to pick out a phrase to say this is the text, this is the focal point, it would be that phrase, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's bow our hearts for one more word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. And yet, Lord, we understand even as we hear it that it's beyond our ability to grasp and comprehend what you may want to say to us by your spirit. Would you come? And in a special way, touch our hearts and minds. Would you help me to be able to communicate? Lord, if you need to bypass me and speak directly to hearts through your word, that's fine. Lord, we ask that you do something special today, that you speak by your will. Help us to realize that we think too small, and that you have a grand and glorious plan for this world and for our lives. And for what you do, we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. When we read the word mystery, we should not think of something concealed that has to be figured out by people with special credentials or or investigated and, and smart people can figure it out. But when God's word speaks of a mystery like this, he's referring to something that has been concealed in the past, but has now been revealed it's been put on display for everyone to see and understand and and receive that's why it says in this passage in verse 9 making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose so as we look in this passage i see three ways in which the mystery of god is revealed first of all The mystery of God's will is revealed in blessing. The mystery is revealed in blessing. Paul begins this passage of Scripture by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we bless God. 
We bless God who has blessed us. And God, we bless God who has blessed us, and He has blessed us with a blessing. With every spiritual blessing, the Scripture says. We bless God who has blessed us with a blessing. Now, this gets even more interesting when we try to figure out which comes first. Now, this isn't like that age-old question of the chicken and egg. There is an obvious answer to this question, which comes first. And that is God from eternity past, for all eternity, is blessed. God is blessed. God is already blessed. God doesn't need us to bless Him in order for Himself to be blessed. He's already blessed. When did God start to be blessed? When did God start to be blessed? Well, the truth is that God has never not been blessed. He has existed for all of eternity, and He has never not been blessed. He is blessed in Himself. You see, blessedness, we could say, is one of the divine attributes. In fact, there are places in Scripture, in the Word of God, that refer both to God and to Jesus as the blessed one. You remember when some of the religious leaders, the people came, or maybe it was the disciples of John the Baptist, they came to him asking him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed? They would not say the sacred name, so they simply called God the blessed. God has always been blessed. He has never not been blessed. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6 refers to God as the blessed one. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. God is the blessed one. What does it mean when we say God is blessed? The word blessed means, has something to do with happiness or joy or or both, but, but those things are only a shadow or a a dim reflection of what the blessedness of God is. Think about this for a moment, and I know that our minds will fall short of this, but think with me for a moment. How must it be, what must it be like to have all and be all that God is? Think about the divine attributes. The, the holiness and the grace and the mercy of God and the glory of God. And then if you bring in all the omnis, you know, the omnipresence and the omniscience and the omnipotence, those things that means God is all-powerful, that God knows everything, and that God is everywhere present at the same time. There's nowhere where we can get away from His presence. You see, all that it means to be God shines outwardly from God in what the Scripture calls glory. 
bundle it up and ask how God must feel to have all of that within himself. And I think we could say that the, the inward possession of all of that is the blessedness of God. I know, I understand we're talking in human terms, we're trying to use human terms to talk about who and what God is, and it falls way short of what the reality must be. You see, again, blessedness is the real thing that happiness and joy are only a shadow of. And this blessedness is more complete when we understand it in the context of the triune God. God who exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is complete in and of himself. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need our blessing him in order for him to be blessed. He is blessed in and of himself. But you see the wonderful thing about this and the wonderful thing about this scripture is that this God who has all he needs for his own completeness has given us all that we need for our completeness. Paul says, blessed be God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. God who is complete in himself has blessed us with everything that we need for our completeness. And as we look at this list, there are a number of ways that we see Paul writes about that we are blessed. He says, we are, we are chosen. Wonderful to be chosen. We are predestined in Love. I'll talk a little bit more about being predestined in just a moment. We are predestined in love. That simply means God looked ahead through all of time and saw each one of us and loved us. We have the opportunity for adoption and redemption and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. All of these things that God has lavished upon us because of his great grace. And it is certainly good for us, but it is not just for our own enhancement. You know, I think a lot of times people think about religion or, or Christianity as uh, something that, you know, you invite God into your life and he kind of puts springs on the wagon and smooths out the ride and, and sort of makes everything better. And, and it's just a, it's life enhancement. It's for the sake of our being blessed. You know, and we kind of can pat ourselves on the back and say, isn't life good? I'm hashtag blessed, you know, I'm blessed. But it's so much bigger than that. It's so much greater than that. And I, I wish I could say, I wish I could express to you the way that I, I feel it and the way that I have it in my heart. But the one thing that we can say about why it is and why it is the case that we have all of this opportunity for blessing is it is simply because God wanted to do it. It's what God wanted to do. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Is it because we're special? No. I mean, we are special in, in some respects because we're made in the image of God, but that's not why. 
Is it because we're worthy or deserving or any of those things? No, it's not any of those things. It's simply because God decided that that's what he wanted to do. It's according to his purpose. So we bless God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. The mystery of God's will is revealed in blessing. Second, the mystery of God is revealed in time. And if you pay attention, you'll notice that there are three sets of threes throughout this message. It's not coincidental. This is Trinity Sunday. And so there's a reason for this. There are three sets of threes. The mystery of God is revealed in blessing. We bless God who has blessed us with a blessing. It's revealed in time. And time, we understand, exists of past, present, and future. The mystery of God revealed in time past or in eternity past. We look at verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 1 and we read there, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. Before time began, he predestined us. Now, I I don't want to dumb down theology too much. Theology is simply the study or the science of God. And it is vast, and we ought to understand it as something vast and big, and it's okay if we have to reach for it to gain the simplest understanding of what it is. It's okay. And if we don't understand, it's still okay. We still keep reaching and believing and trusting. But as, uh, uh, as we think about this idea of predestination, you know, it's been historically, it's been a, a, a controversial doctrine of the church, the idea of predestination. But I, I think I'm beginning to see that there's, there's no need to get bent out of shape about this word or about the idea of election or predestination. The idea, I think, of predestination simply means that God planned for us in advance. We all plan in advance. And it seems to me a lot simpler to think about that way, that God planned for each one of us in advance. And he predestined us, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Who did he choose? This is a, this is a freebie. We cannot avoid that predestination is part of the teaching, the doctrine of Scripture. We cannot avoid that election is part of the teaching of Scripture. Yet neither can we avoid that God's Word teaches us that He does not want any to perish, but that He desires all to come to repentance. So that means that nobody is left out. So who is God's predestined? Who is predestined? Who is God's elect? I believe that we all are chosen by God, 
in God's sacrifice of His Son and His grace is sufficient for any who would call on Him, for all who would call on His name. But it is efficient only to those who respond. So that's, that's, that's the difference. It is sufficient for any, for all who call, but it is efficient. It works only for those who call on His name. So we were chosen in the past, in eternity past. God is at work in our hearts, blessing us in the present. Look at verse 7. In Him we have present tense. What do we have? We have redemption through His blood. That means that is the, the price paid to set us free. We have redemption through His blood with which... <clears throat> sorry, I lost my place there. The forgiveness of our trespasses. We have forgiveness. Oh, what a wonderful blessing to have forgiveness, to know that we have been released from the penalty of our sin. We have forgiveness through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. This is not just a little bit. God's not skimpy with His blessing. But there's plenty. It is His grace that He lavished on us. The word itself sounds like a lot, doesn't it? When you think of something being lavished, it just it sounds so big and so it sounds like a lot. It just sounds like there's plenty. It reminds me of going to eat dinner at my grandma's house, which I wish I could do again. And you would eat all that you could hold, and she would say, Wouldn't you like just a little bit more? You haven't eaten hardly anything. Oh, no, I think I've had enough. And no, you haven't had much. And she'd begin piling it on your plate again, lavishing that wonderful meal on you. And just a little picture, God's grace lavished on us, poured out abundantly so that now, present tense, we have this possession of freedom and right relationship with God and the privilege of being part of His kingdom. Then we have a glorious future. You see, God, the, the mystery of God's plan is revealed in time, and we've seen the revelation of a portion of it, but not yet all of it. Verses 9 through 11, we read this, <clears throat> that, uh, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. In other words, when the fullness of time has come, the fullness of God's plan will be revealed to us, which is to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And friends, one of these days, all of this world with all of its problems and all of its troubles and the way it's torn apart and the way that it's broken and all of the suffering and the sickness and the brokenness that we experience because of the brokenness of this world and the grief that we feel because of all that we go through and the tragedy that we experience and train wrecks and car wrecks and all of those things, 
God's going to put it back together and reconcile all things to Himself in Jesus Christ. Not only that, but verse 11, in Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. We have a wonderful future to look forward to. We have an inheritance, something that we will receive when Jesus comes back. Third, the mystery is revealed in the Trinity. The mystery is revealed in the Trinity. We shared the little sketch animation at the beginning of the service, and that's just kind of a way to help us think about the Trinity and the fact that we believe that God is one and yet three in one. And which, by the way, <clears throat> that author, the creator of that content, was talking about this idea of being one plus one plus one, and we say it still equals one. He, he's just using the wrong math. You don't use addition, but you use multiplication. One times one times one is still one. And that's God. God is one God, yet He exists eternally as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I, I don't intend to explain this fully in a way that, that you can grasp, like I said at the beginning, and say, ah, now I, now I get it. You know, we can think about illustrations to try to explain the Trinity, and the problem with those illustrations is that at some point every single one of them falls short and will end up leading you into heresy. So be careful about things like the Trinity is like an egg. You know, that's one example that people have tried to use, or the Trinity is like water that can exist in, you know, in three forms. That's another example. Or, or some have used the example of I'm, I'm one person, but I'm a, I'm a son, and I'm a husband, and I'm a father. Well, that's still I'm just one person. Those are just three different roles. None of that is what we're saying about God and who He is. Those are, those, all those examples lead into heresy. They lead into false doctrine. There is one God who exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three separate persons. He has revealed Himself this way. When you try to do, uh, go beyond this, um, you get into dangerous territory. But what we can see is what God has done for us. We see that the Father, in verse 4, has chosen us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, even as He chose us in Him. God the Father chose you. Let me just pause here to give you another freebie really quick. People that, that come up with this mistaken understanding that that somehow the God of the Old Testament was this mean, cruel, vindictive God, and Jesus came along and changed his mind. Friends, that is absolutely not true. God the Father, the God of the Old Testament, chose you from before time began. The Son, 
verses 5 through 7. Jesus, the Son, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. If you notice in this passage, this, this word either in Christ or in him or some form of that occurs 12 different times. And the emphasis is that so much of, of what God has done and what God has worked out in our hearts and in our lives is in and through the person of Jesus Christ. And then we also have the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. All of this, all of this blessing and all of, of what God is and what God wants to do is administered to us through the Holy Spirit who has sealed us and given us the down payment or the guarantee, uh, Paul says, it's verse 13, or verse 14 rather, we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. I want to mention a little bit about these words, this, this idea of being sealed, because it just makes the blessing bigger. Don't you like to be blessed? One of you. Anybody else besides that one? You like to be blessed? And big blessings. Amen? Big blessings. The, the largeness of what God has done, His blessing... He has sealed us. To think that God has sealed us by His Holy Spirit, it indicates a number of different things. That it's a finished transaction. That there is a stamp put upon and that transaction is done. That is the presence, the seal of God's Spirit in our lives. That means we are, it, it is also a mark of ownership. Of ownership. It, it signifies who we belong to the sealing of the Holy Spirit. It also indicates security and protection. We don't have to worry about falling away. Yes, we do. As Wesleyan Arminians, we believe that it is a possibility that we can fall away and forfeit our salvation, but we don't have to. We believe in the eternal security of the believer that is a conditional eternal security. There's also authenticity. Authenticity. You know that when, have you ever had to get something notarized and you go and it'll put, you'll sign and maybe you're transferring ownership of a vehicle or something like that and you go with whoever's buying that car from you and you go in front of the notary and they, you sign in your place on the, on the title and then the new owner signs in their spot and the notary will put their stamp and that is a demonstration of authenticity that it really happened and the sealing of the Holy Spirit of the believer is a mark that we belong to God as a finished transaction and that we have security in him and that we are authentically in reality we are his so to conclude why? Why does God do all of this? To reveal the mystery of His will, of his will in blessing and in time and, and in the person of the Trinity. Why is it? And I mentioned a little bit of this a few moments ago. We could misunderstand what God has done and simply revel in the blessing that we have received. But, you know, we, we end up like the Israelites of the Old Testament who... who 
God told them through Moses what was going to happen, that when you come into the land and you enjoy houses that you didn't have to build and, and wells that you didn't have to dig and you have all of this blessing and prosperity, be careful that you don't forget where the blessing comes from. And I think a lot of times Christians still do that. We, we enjoy the blessing of God and we kind of congratulate ourselves and we say, oh, isn't life great? But God does it for more than that. And there are three times, again, this is, this, is kind of, this is a fourth set of three in this passage of Scripture that we see why God has done what He has done. And it is to the praise of His glory. We see it in verse 6. To the praise of His glorious grace. And then again in verse 12, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And then finally at the end of verse 14, until we acquire possession of our inheritance to the praise of His glory. All of this is so that the glory of God might be made much of. That we and anybody looking on could look back and say, Wow, isn't God great? Isn't God big? Johann Sebastian Bach was born into a musical family in the year 1685. By the age of 10, both of his parents were dead. And so from 10 and up, he grew up without parents. His life early on was filled with friction, various relational difficulties with numbers of people, but, but early on in his life, he determined that he would write music for the glory of God. And this is what he did. Most of Bach's works are explicitly biblical. In fact, Albert Schweitzer referred to Bach as the fifth evangelist, comparing him to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. At age 17, Bach became the organist at the church, and soon thereafter, he was given charge of the entire music ministry of the church. During his ministry in Weimar, Germany, he wrote a new cantata every month. I don't know if you ever heard of cantata, but they can be long. And he wrote one every single month. During one three-year period, he wrote, conducted, orchestrated, and performed with his choir and orchestra a new cantata every week. And no one at the time had any idea what kind of a mark and legacy he would leave behind. His legacy still lives on these hundreds of years later, and you can hear his music anytime, anywhere you want to. And if you look at authentic manuscripts of Bach's music, every single one that you, that you look at, you will find at the beginning two letters, the letters J-J, which I'm sure I don't know any Latin, so I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce this, but it's Yesu Java, something like that, which means Jesus help me. And then at the conclusion of every one of his manuscripts, you will find the words or the letters S-D-G, which means sola deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. And friends, this is what God's big plan 
is all about for all of us. It is to the glory of God alone. Let's stand together, please. Holy Father, thank you for all that you are and all that you have done. Would you help us to begin to grasp just the littlest part of that in a way that will impact our lives for time and for eternity? And Lord, would you be honored and glorified in and through us, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen.